Hello and welcome to another episode of Bank Talk Star Wars. I'm usually I am here. I am joined by my co-host Spencer Spencer. Say hey to people. You know, doing fine. Yeah. Man. No. <laughs> Spencer, ready to go today. And we are joined by our third co-host. That's right. Jamie is back. Jamie, how you doing today? Doing great. How are you? I am doing wonderful, and I am excited. I'm excited because we are going to be reviewing episode two. We talked about this toward the end of our Obi-Wan coverage. We slipped into a lot of arguing about the movie, specifically the prequels. And that's not surprising, right? Because Obi-Wan really draws on the prequels a lot. I know that after the Obi-Wan series premiered, a lot of people went back and watched the prequels because Disney released the data that the streaming for the prequels was really high up. We are no different. We were started to think about the prequel movies and ponder them, so we decided to go back and do reviews of the prequel movies. We did episode one. That went on for, I don't know, two hours, 45 minutes or something. So we had to split it into two podcasts. Those are up now on mangoptalks.com or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, and now we are going to review episode two, Attack of the Clones. As Talib Kweli would say, we go through episodes two like Attack of the Clones. I'm excited to talk about this movie because I think this is one of the most divisive movies in the Star Wars universe. I think I'd like to start with – well, first I'd like to start with a plug for a, another podcast feed that we're doing called Pot of the Dragon where we are going to be reviewing HBO's House of the Dragon. If you enjoy this podcast, you enjoy us digging into – lore, into geek culture, into another world, another universe, you are going to like that because Spencer and I are going to be doing a deep dive into HBO's House of the Dragon and the associated literature, Fire and Blood. Oh my God, it's going to be so excited. We're going to do one reaction pod right after it premieres, so right after each episode, and then we will give it a couple days to sit marinate, and we will do another one. So two episodes per, two podcast episodes per one episode of House of the Dragon over on the Pod of the Dragon feed, so... Please check that out. I think that's enough of the housekeeping. I would like to start with Spencer because Spencer has been threatening me uh, over text. He has been Personally. bullying me online about this film. I think he retched. He may have thrown up a few times watching it. Spencer, what was your reaction as you watched this epic film, Episode 2, Attack of the Close? I realized when I started this that I had not watched this film in completion since I saw it in theaters 20 years ago. I think it's literally 20 years ago. Did it come out in like 2002? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think I blocked out just how bad this film is. Oh. I think I really suppressed just well, how I, painful the experience was of sitting through this. I, this, huh. among the things we've watched in our various podcasts, among on, on the, the Mangum platform, this was the second most painful thing after watching the original Friday the 13th. No, 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 no. The student no, film in, su- in summer camp, that is how bad this was to me. It stop took it, me stop four it. Remember hours we, it's, no, to watch I'm this. I'm cutting you off. I'm, I won't allow it. We watched Megan is Missing, so please don't put it above Megan is Missing. I'm putting it below Megan is Missing. What? This is a, this is offensive to me. Um, pl- well, all right. I was well, able well, to well, watch Manga, Megan is Missing in its regular runtime. This took me... Almost double the runtime for me having to pace the room to go like summon the will to keep watching it. Jamie, just so you know, Megan is Missing is a indie movie where a young girl gets brutally tortured and et cetera, et cetera, in a indie horror movie. And Spencer is being absurd. Uh, Jamie, what did you think of the film as you rewatched it? Um, like episode one, the things I liked were more enjoyable than I remembered. And the things I didn't like were so much worse. And I didn't think they could be worse than I remembered, but they were. So 
more of a mixed bag even than I expected. Oh my gosh. Which, All right. spoiler, that's how I feel about episode three too. So, uh, that's apparently just how I feel with prequels is that the good is good and there's plenty of fun. Uh, there's a reason why some people love it and why they got made, but the bad is so bad. All right. Well, that's, um, thoroughly disappointing from the both of you. We're going to fight, uh, a lot. So I think we'll kind of do this podcast the same way we did the last one, which is where we'll kind of go sort of slowly beat by beat through the film, talking about the plot. Uh, at the end, you know, if you, ha- you guys have any best lines, worst lines, or nostalgic moments, or if you want to do, I, Jamie introduced a really cool segment the last time where we talked about basically had to make a justification for why it's the best Star Wars movie ever, why it's the worst. We could do that too if you want to, but I think we can start by going through the plot. So this movie starts with a bang. It starts right out with a high speed chase. Um, after a assassination attempt on Amidala's life. So uh, Queen Amidala, still in cognito, still being Padme. Um, they go to get off a ship, and boop, big explosion. And the, the girl who plays the queen, who is playing dress up as the queen, as the decoy, mm-hmm. is killed. And then we jump into a very high-speed chase, um, which is kind of exciting, when we get uh, Anakin, the new Anakin, Hayden Christensen, so adios, Jake Lloyd, thank you for your service, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is still played by Ewan McGregor, and they go on this high-speed chase through Coruscant. A couple of things that I'd like to point out about this chase before I give it over to Spencer and Jamie to shit all over it, is I liked the background world building of Coruscant, because Coruscant is not, like, Coruscant wasn't even discussed in the first three movies, right? When the first three movies ran, like live, right? Like in like what was it, seventy nine, eighty one, eighty four, something like that. Like Coruscant was never discussed. It was Timothy Zahn who came up with Coruscant in the uh, in the um, what you call it, my, my guy, um, the Blue Man. Spencer, help me out. Thrawn. Thrawn in the Thrawn series, he talked about Coruscant and kind of created it. George Lucas liked it and picked it up. So we didn't, going into the prequels, we didn't have a lot about Coruscant. And I love the the background mm-hmm. world building where we have just like, just the something as little as how the spaceships fly around in atmosphere, right? How there's traffic lanes, how it is yeah. truly a full, um, a full city planet. That sort of stuff is, I think, kind of cool that happens in the background while we have this sort of eh, kind of absurd chase scene that starts the whole thing out. Jamie, you're you're huffing and puffing. What do you what do you got to say? Well, no, I was going to say I, I I agree. And kind of like one of the things I said I like about episode one, yeah, some I like is how they develop Coruscant and kind of the nuances that they showed instead of telling. Uh, there's a lot in this movie that they tell instead of showing because telling is better for them. But Coruscant, they do I think in general a great job. I loved how you know, getting ahead in the plot line. But when Count Dooku goes back, he goes way off grid, but it's not into the wilderness. It's into some kind of industrial automated people don't live there side of the planet. Right. I I love that. Like the warehouse district, but the warehouse district is the size of Oklahoma or something because it's a planet is going to have the same ratio of energy generating and waste disposal and everything. It's just, you know, they'll put it all in one place because it's cheap to move things in this galaxy. Um, I love that. And one thing which is throughout uh, that I really noticed, and I noticed this even more in three, but just the, the traffic patterns, the traffic patterns in the background, the fact that while all this is going on, there's people in their commute is 
great, actually. I love it. Um, yeah, and one of the things that, that that stood out to me is that while Anakin and Obi-Wan are going through this chase, which requires them to disrupt traffic patterns, which requires them to disrupt some pedestrians just walking around, to disrupt a nightclub, that it becomes apparent – it was apparent to me that, like, most people, like, when the Jedi come around, are pretty annoyed. Like, <laughs> they're like, oh, God, these guys again. And, it, yeah, I kind of put myself in, like, a the – like a bystander, right, in Coruscant. And it, it would it would bear out that, like, whenever the Jedi show up, they generally either wreck your car, wreck your house, mess up your day in some way, and then they say, Jedi business, go back to your drinks, and then they just leave you. And, like, I could see how there could be some frustration with the Jedi as they go about their business because it doesn't seem like, at least from what we get, they do a lot of cleanup after the fact. Um, Spencer, what do you think about this opening scene? Uh, well, one thing I'll note, you are yada yadding about 15 minutes of the film leading up to what you're describing as the opening scene of where they don't go straight from the ship blew up to there is a chase scene. There is a lot of let's discuss appointing Jedi guardians. Oh, let's talk with the chancellor. Oh, the chancellor suggests that we appoint Jedi guardians. Oh, there is a lot of going. The movie's too long. I'm gonna say, that's one of the things I believe you could do. There is a lot of extra fluff scenes that get between these various moments we want to focus on as highlights. We start to see that pretty early. I think you're right, but I think that I think that even in the pat, what I'm going to call like padding scenes like that, that kind of are necessary. I'm going to give them maybe more credit than they deserve. That they had a good idea and just didn't think about the pacing and structural cost of that good idea in that scene where they're talking about appointing somebody. I loved how um, you know. It, I, I think it was that one because there's, 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 there's more than one scene like that where Palpatine's making suggestions about protecting people. Um, it kind of showed him having a suggestion, and when that suggestion is shot down, he has a backup suggestion that works for his purposes just as well or better. But yeah. he gives in what? so hesitantly because, all right, fine, you're the one in charge, wink, wink. And I, I can love touch. that. But, but that was like a five-second glimpse at him being good at his job that they took five minutes of – my life for yeah i mean it's a you know spencer raises a good point i I do think that the version that you can stream now on disney plus is too long i think that that is the extended director's cut etc etc i don't think it ran the full two and a half hours when it first got in theaters and i'd like to kind of go back to that original film because i agree i what i watched which was i think it ran about two and a half hours was too long and and he's right that there are some scenes before the chase scene that are interesting um so there you have the, the conversation with Palpatine. One thing that really jumps out to me there is Yoda looking at Palpatine saying, the dark side clouds everything. <laughs> and he's yeah. sitting in front of the Sith Lord. Not a good look for my guy Yoda. And then also I, I really enjoyed the scene where Anakin, you know, sees Amidala again for the first time. Crazy excited, right? Really uh, overstepping his bounds. And then you have that great light back and forth with Anakin and Obi-Wan where Anakin's like, we will find who's doing this. And Obi-Wan's like, we will not exceed our mandate. And then Anakin tries to read into the mandate, and Obi-Wan continues to hammer him like, hey, dude, we do what the Jedi Council tells us to do and no more. And I think that's indicative of just greater issues between the two of them where Anakin really does feel like he's smart enough to read implications into orders, go off script, do whatever he wants to do. And, of course, we know Obi-Wan doesn't roll that way. So, So, yeah, yeah. Spencer's right. A A lot of stuff there. So question that people might know from from I might have missed in the movies, you know, the other stuff. Does Anakin know he's the chosen one? Yeah. Yeah. He's heard. He's yeah, he has. Because um, it's weird that he could go 10 years without anyone hinting it to him. Like, or, or yeah, hearing, help. 
ever. Palpatine hints it to him in this in this movie a couple times. So he he makes jokes about it in other media. I know uh, in the Brotherhood book that Mike Chin wrote, and then some of the comic books, and I believe I don't know, I can't remember this specifically. I think the Clone Wars. He will make jokes with Obi Wan, like, "Yeah, but I'm the chosen one, right?" Like. Okay. And they'll make back and forth. They'll, they'll joke so, about that. So it, something that I kind of didn't like and is unrealistic, but in hindsight, I accept as kind of like, you know, when when Princess Leia and the Obi-Wan TV show was too precocious. No, that's actually what like a smart ass kid who's a princess would do. Um, it, him, you know, undermining his superior in front of their client, just like that, like picking <laughs> a every the opportunity throughout like, the film. Right. Yeah, but that, yeah. that one in particular stood out because it was on purpose where he's really countermanding his superior in front of the public effectively. Yep. Seems so unrealistic and stupid and frustrating. But here's the thing. He thinks he knows better because I, I, I so I have I have a kid who is very smart and who is, you know, uh, thinks they know better than the rules and the rules don't apply to them, thinks that they know, understand why the rules are there, so they only have to follow them. Harry, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, sounds a lot like the dad. I grew up with Jamie, so it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely, I would do things that I knew were technically harmless, and the fact that a rule forbade me from doing them, I honestly didn't care. Uh, oh, and it's, the world comes it's, full it's, circle. It's about the only thing I got in trouble for, because I was a rule follower, unless I thought I knew better. Um, so, so I, I actually kind of accept it as like a teenager who knows or thinks he knows that he is the smartest in the room, at least for his age, that he knows it better. He understands what's going on. Uh, he doesn't want to be talked down to. He, he understands what the mandate was supposed to be. And if he's wrong, then, then, then they were wrong. And, and he knows the better thing that they would do if they were smart enough. So I actually accepted a little bit, but it was frustrating at the time. Yeah, like, that's, this is a semi-military organization that would have gotten beat out of him. You don't imagine that happening in the United States government with a private countermanding a captain in front of an admiral. Imagine it happening in a corporation. Imagine like, yeah. you know, if a junior associate says that in front of a partner. He's out the door before the afternoon's done. Uh, right. uh, you, you worked in yeah. a lot of law firms. That, that wouldn't happen in my company. You wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, get fired you, just for You work in a company. delightfully miraculous it's, place look, compared look, to any look. worse I've been before. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. Lee, Lee are, are you saying that if one of your big clients were there in a big meeting and the CEO and a mid-level person were having a conversation that he was sitting in on and he, without saying, hey, I've got a different idea or let's clarify – the CEO said, we can't do it. And then the junior said, yes, we can. And we will by the end of the week. We promise as an organization. So first off, well, first, well, first off, Obi-Wan's not the CEO. It's not really a great comparison. But no, no, not necessarily. No, the person would not get fired for voicing their opinion, even if it overstepped bounds, et cetera, et cetera. We don't just fire people for fucking fucking up. Like we we talk to them first. You get on performance improvement plans. You okay. get talked to. It's a different type of organization. So, so no, you don't just necessarily get canned. But that's a that's a weird rabbit hole. We're here, let's pull it back out to. Uh, that uh, Anakin needs to be on a performance improvement plan and on probation and go sit on his ass at home and not to see Padme anymore. For I think he, her. I think he is Spencer. Uh, I, I would agree with you that you shouldn't necessarily be punished for what I've instant. The problem is it is his main characterization throughout the film because Fair. George Lucas is trying to play up that he is rebellious, that he That's isn't fair. respecting of the principles or authority. He is confident only in his own abilities and what he can accomplish with that. 
And so what I, my main problem is not that they don't slap him down each time it happens. It's that they've allowed him to develop like this. This is a, a fucking hand grenade that has got the pin pulled on it. It's ready to go off. Given the concerns and prior history of the Jedi about people falling into the negative emotions or their own self-absorption and everything else and what that can lead to. And the fact that everyone's just kind of, oh, look at that Anakin, isn't he got a rebellious streak, is just dumb for all the so, Jedi. Because they know historically what he, the problem he potentially represents. Yeah, so uh, you're, you're right. I, 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 what I took issue with was the characterization of if he did it this one time, he'd be fired. Sure. I was kind of like, that's kind of crazy. No, I agree with you. He does it throughout the film. Now, I, you and I fundamentally view the canon differently. And this is borne out. This is because I think that Lucas disagrees with me on the canon. Apparently, with this film. Well, not. But I'm, what I'm saying is that the 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 novelizations, the comics, the, all this stuff in between the movies, I just take as canon. You you have before on this podcast characterized it as like covering their asses or explaining away things, and you dismiss that. Like, but. I think of it as the same thing as the movie. It's canon. And, and because of that, like, Anakin has, in canon, not necessarily in this movie, so I agree with you, but in canon has been slapped down a lot. Mace Windu hates fucking Anakin Skywalker and gives that kid shit all the time. And it's really great to see because he deserves it. He's a, he's a prick. Like, he, he really is a pain in the ass and, and it bears out in other media. It, it is great to see in that. I actually love supplemental material. I enjoy it. But I think everything should be able to stand on its own legs. Everything should be able to tell its own satisfying, comprehensive story without having to always just turn buy or refer to other material to be able to fully understand something that you're seeing. And I think the the prequels struggle in that regard, the, the amount of supplemental material. One just point I want to make just before we go on. Uh, looking at the crawl that starts the film off, Lucas – Clearly, it's changing aspects of the legacy lore. And you and I have talked about the Lucas doesn't actually like most of what the legacy lore was with respect to the films or just doesn't believe it. Um, but are we led to believe at the beginning of this film and from what Palpatine says in his opening scene that A, the Republic is only a thousand years old and B, the Republic does not have a standing military? Because that is the implication I get from the idea of that they're looking to create an army of the Republic. Are they saying the Republic doesn't have a military in the in the prequel series? So, and are they saying the Republic is not the twenty thousand years old the legacy material is previously up to the point of this film established? I don't. I, the, and the, has it, never been it, in a war before. So is it is it twenty is it is it twenty thousand years old or a thousand years old? Is is I, I don't mean this to be mean to you. It just is absolutely not interesting to me. What what is interesting Fine. to me is the, this idea: does it have a standing army? Um, I know that the Republic has had a standing army before, or maybe uh, to, to your point, maybe Lucas just scrapped that. I don't know, but I think that we're we're led to believe that there's been such a period of peacetime that there is no central. They 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 have gotten away from this idea of a centralized military. They haven't needed it in so long, and that they've really just allowed the Jedi to just be peacekeepers. I think that's what he's going for, yeah, right I mean, or wrong. I mean, I mean, think of the UN. Think of the uh, you know the Star Trek, like. I think those are maybe two things more to think of than a normal country of, you know, no, we don't really have military. We have guns, we have forces, but, you know, we're, we're not sitting there planning for a war. And, and who's, gonna, who's attacking them? Like, clearly there are uh, some other forces, but the other forces are smaller than Yeah, it would, the it would have to be the Outer Rim, right? right? Yeah. Well, have to be the Outer Rim territories. Well, so, so there's Outer Rim territories that are scattered. There's the Huts. 
I'm sure that there's, you know, there's whoever those folks are that I missed caring too much about um, in uh, Book of Boba Fett, you know, the other powerful entities. Uh, But it seems like mostly the warring factions are the guilds. Um, And so each guild has its own droid army or military or defensive stuff. But, you know, the the Senate makes laws and, and everybody just has to follow it kind of thing or you're out. But that doesn't make any sense. If they have no arm of enforcement, if their arm of enforcement, if their means by which they've been exerting their authority is literally 10,000 Jedi as both their military and seemingly police forces, you guys have noted, if you don't see any police at any point, the Jedi just walk in and act like they're federal marshals, my suspension of disbelief is gone. I mean, so in, you so the example of Star Trek. So, no, no, no. no, 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 no Star Trek. Trek. planet that we see in Star Trek is Look, the military. There, there's there, okay. There's definitely police on Coruscant because yes. what do they have? They have traffic don't laws. Clearly, somebody's enforcing them. They have death sticks, don't which are clearly contraband, and they're not counting on the ten thousand Jedi in the whole universe to be the police. They've got police. Right. Well, the two, well, the two and a half hour movie that Spencer wants to cut, he wants to see somebody being pulled over for speeding, so he knows there's yeah. a, there's a police okay. officer. Look, the, the 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 Jedi are not the police. They are they are. Federal marshals, they're the FBI, they're the um, Marine Barrettes, but with more authority. Jamie, I can't get over the fact you have a kid that thinks that they're smarter than the rules. That's just going to that's going to make me laugh all day long. Um, Spencer, I think I think you make a good point that the idea that they don't I mean, I think the way that I thought about it was that each is more and Jamie put it way better than I could have which is that the the galactic senate and the quote republic is more like the UN and like each planet has a military um and if that each you know like if Alderaan needs to enforce something they have a military to do so but like the idea that all of them have a collective military just there's been no need for it because they are the universe um yep. so that's kind of how it's worked I, for me I mean, look, it, that made sense when he was explaining look, that look look at alderaan in the obi-wan show like they've got some military not much they don't have guns or whatever they're not a, a warring people but they've got guards and stuff they get to make apparently some of their own laws you know they, he's they're on, they're talking about slavery so apparently slavery is not outlawed by the empire republic but it is on alderaan so yeah i, I think comparing it to the un but more uh, somewhere between the Federation and the UN is probably what you, I would think of it as. Well, the, t- the two points I'd make about it, the UN isn't a governing body that has any actual degree of enforcement or power, and that's a problem. And if you're, you're, you're describe- it's somewhere between the two. We're not talking about U.S. politics right now. Come on. But man. if you're talking about U.S. politics, you're talking about the Articles of Confederation with each state having its own militia, which is disastrous. My main point, though, I'm making, though, is that this is indicating that Lucas is discarding any existing canon that other people had been put- putting together in books, video games, anything else, with respect to that single casual line. Because we know that's not true for anything previously established about the older public. So I think we're so making that the movies are, this is an example of, I'm not, I'm, in many ways, I'm giving a pass to Disney, not so casually changing canon, because this is Lucas just brushing aside canon casually with respect to this. Okay, well, I think sometimes we get into these things and, like, I, I think... Are we trying to prove that you're right, Spencer, and your point, or are we trying to prove that that somehow stops you from enjoying the movie? Because, like, uh, okay, you, you you make a good point. Like, maybe they should have had a standing army. I, I don't know that, like, the fact that they don't have a standing army, like, stops me from watching this two-and-a-half-hour yeah, movie and enjoying it. Like, I don't, I don't quite know how much it matters to me. 
And, and how old the Republicans? It doesn't make sense, but it doesn't hurt it that much. Okay, well, let's move on, because we don't have that long. We have an hour and 20 minutes left, and we have a lot of movie to cover and a lot of more fighting to do. So we uh, move past the pretty cool sequence where it's, to me, fairly clear that Jango Fett is involved in trying to kill Queen Amidala. Um, so question Why for you. Why exactly? Um, well, because Palpatine uh, paid for him to. Yeah, Palpatine paid for it. But why? Because he wants more sympathy by his person dying. I also think, right? and I brought this up on the last Maybe? podcast, I also think that he knows that Queen Amidala is incorruptible, and that, I think that's the right way to say that word, and that she is a po- political powerhouse on his home planet, and that she's allied with the Jedi. I think it would be a lot easier for him if she is out of the fucking picture. Like, he what? does not like her, never tries to read her into his plans, never trusts her, and has tried to kill her on multiple occasions for that reason, I think. One actual one I'll throw in as well that I've forgotten about is that purely the Trade Federation Viceroy has a grudge against her. He says several times to people, is she dead yet? I wanted her dead. Tell me that she's dead. As if he's been the one that's pushing for it. My point is, I don't even necessarily know that it's Palpatine anymore. The Trade Federation may just be pushing Dooku to hire people to do it. Yeah, I think I think it I think that pa- the implication is that Palpatine really is controlling the Trade Federation. But yeah, they want her dead for sure. And uh so we move to the post that scene and we get a lot of stuff on Coruscant. Um I enjoy I particularly uh think that I mean they so they ha- I, here's the thing. I'm going to descend into criticism of the film. So sit down, buckle up. Oh um, dear God. Not going to do it that often. I think that George Lucas had to figure out a way to get Anakin and Queen Amidala some alone time so that they could fall in love. Specifically, Senator. she could fall in, in – yeah, whatever. Senator could fall in love with him, right? Because at the start of the movie, she's very curt with him. She's, oh, Annie, you'll always be that little boy I met on Tatooine. Please don't look at me that way. It makes me uncomfortable. All this stuff. You have to figure out a way to get her to like him. Why? Because we have Luke and Leia. So at some point, they have to like each other. And the way they do it makes – Zero sense to me. Like, <laughs> you need to give her a Jedi protector. Let's get, first off, let's give someone who's never been on a mission before. And mm-hmm. second, someone who has over and over again overstepped their bounds because of a personal, con- personal connection to this person. And we, the Jedi, try to, um, absolve ourselves of all these personal connections. Why? Because they are things that get into way, get in the way of our inner peace and our ability to be objective in the universe. Like, it is insane that they would pair these two up. I don't. That never made a lick of sense to me. I don't think you guys are going to try to convince me that it does because y'all hate the film. But it is very fucking strange that they would pair the two of them together. It's both dumb and also just from a film and German standpoint, the scenes of the two of them together <laughs> are the worst scenes in the film. You don't wait a second. You don't like the rolling around in the meadow, Spencer? That's not doing These were the moments these are the moments I was stopping getting up and going outside just to pace. Because of how just nails on chalkboard You've already moved on to their, you know, consensual, happy flirting romance. Let's go back to Oh, yeah, you, who were, we've kind of addressed the age difference being maybe worse, maybe not as bad as it looks, but looking pretty dang bad. Ooh, you've grown a lot. You've been thinking about me since you were six. So that's a thing we're just going to be fine with. 
Why would, why would I? So, so but I have a, a serious question for you because we brought this up in the last podcast. If a kid, like, so let's say a kid, like a kid who is nine has a crush on a kid who's eighteen, and then when they're like thirty something and twenty something, they get together. You still, you have a problem with that crush? Like, I don't, like, they didn't do anything when he was a kid. I don't understand why the crush is a problem for you. It, so, well, I, I, I don't want to speak from a position of authority here, but I know plenty of people who think it's very, very fine for 20 year olds and 30 year olds to get together and plenty who see it as actually having not, you know, like should be illegal problems, but like one of those people's friends should pull them aside and have a conversation with them problems. I don't know, uh, but I'm putting that out there that not everybody feels the same on that one. And they're not 20. All right. When is it okay though? Because we know that 60 and 70 is okay. So when is the 10 year age gap? Okay. Um, later than what they are in the movie. Wait, so it's but, not consenting adults. It's it's some nebulous time when they're thirty and forty. I'm just saying that I'm just I'm just saying it's weird and creepy. He continues to be weird and creepy. She expresses she doesn't like the weird and creepy. He keeps doing it, and somehow that becomes more romantic, which is both cre- weird and creepy, and also a terrible lesson. Like Pepe Le Pew, he's Pepe Le Pew here. He he's just bowing uh, out for creepy I, and stinky, and I don't eventually know. changes her mind. I think we, I think we're, I think we're struggling as a society with this because I think that like if we portray a man and a woman, right, and the man is interested in the woman, the woman says, "No, I'm not interested in you," and the man continues to pursue. There's a large segment of our society that goes, "Ugh, that's bad. He's creepy. That shouldn't be portrayed. He's forcing the issue. This is like the patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera." Right? But that's how dating really does work. Like, I mean, like it's. Pretty fucking common for you to ask somebody out and them to say no, and you go, okay, all right, let me uh, let me retool, let me get some new shoes, let me try this thing again in a couple of weeks and see if I can make some headway. Like that's the world of dating. So I think we've reached a pretty strange point in how we're trying to portray these things. Look, all I'm I, saying is I'm apparently better at dating than you. People don't say no to me. Whew, get it? Okay, Boom. I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that point hang because that's <laughs> delightful, and go on to two other little separate points. What? Framing what you kind of originally said, Lee, the really dumb aspect of this is that Obi-Wan in particular knows yes. Anakin has a crush on Padme. He knows that. Anakin says that early in one of the scenes they interact with, oh, I'm getting to see her again for the first time. Um, that is a dumb idea to put somebody that's got a crush as the bodyguard for another person because he has no ability whatsoever to be objective. On top of the hat, he's a hothead that can't be objective about anything anyway. But if they want to frame this as being the single most returned to aspect of this film, they cut back to the two of them like nine times in a way that shatters the flow and any buildup of action constantly throughout this film. Could they at least find two people that have any chemistry whatsoever? This is just like two pieces of white bread trying to rub up against each other in terms of just the excitement that they have and create in the scenes that they're in. So, yes, Spencer, you can I only ask them look, look, they... They could have picked anybody for Hayden Christensen, and they could have taken as long as they wanted redoing these scenes. But has anyone really thought that Natalie Portman has charisma or attractiveness? I mean, he only had so much to work with. Wait a second. Hold on. No, that's a good actress. Uh -uh. I have seen her be a good actress. No, wait. I I hope everyone hears hears the sarcasm in my voice. Okay. 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 Yeah. No, I am stepping in here because I know what you're doing, Jamie, and I think you're actually wrong. Natalie Portman is a phenomenal actress, but she fails miserably Boom, at romance, it. fails miserably at romance scenes across the board. And she, by her own admission, 
hates romance scenes, doesn't like it. She's like a super awkward person in real life. Like she has always struggled with that. She does much better with more psychological roles where she can she can portray things sure. that are just different than that, right? I don't think I, I'm not putting this all at Hayden Christensen. I'd like to go on a quick little jack here. I don't think that the, I, I think the criticism of Hayden Christensen got way out of control. First off, he was he was starting a new character because it's not like he's going to draw on fucking Darth Vader to, to do this character. Second, he's told that he's supposed to be an angsty, annoying, overstepping, fucking twenty or early twenties guy who like. It, like has problems assimilating in the world. So when he's being annoying on screen or he looks huffy or emotional, he's supposed to be. Third, his, he's not written particularly well and he's having to play off cardboard, which is Natalie Portman. So I think that he, I, I think he's got, he's gotten a bad rap over the years. And one thing I really, really love is that when the Obi-Wan series came around and, and Hayden Christensen agreed to return to the universe, that the fans kind of embraced him because I thought he got a bad rap through these films. I'm not saying that he deserves an Oscar, but he did not ruin this film and his acting to me. Oh, the dialogue, the dialogue and, um, was, is painful and terrible and ruins the scenes that are most important. It's almost like Spencer and I have been saying that for two episodes now. I'm not, look, I, 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 I it's bad, man. It's bad. I, I agree. I, I, one of the first things I told you when we started the review of episode one was that, that the writing was not that good and George Lucas clearly had lost some of his fastball and one of the things that he did not focus on as much as, is the script, and he focused a lot more on the um, special effects, et cetera, and, and world building. I agree with you. That just doesn't ruin the movie for me. So, so here's actually a question since we're on this. Uh, and again, not to get ahead of myself on which movie I'm even talking about. Natalie Portman had fewer lines and less, you know, maybe there were better lines, but just literally less lines in the third episode, uh, in episode three. But I thought that she did a lot better. Why do you do you agree with that? And if so, why do you think it was so much worse here? Was she just not as good at it? Was the dialogue that much worse? So relationship was strained in the first place because it was kind of artificial out of nowhere because he needs to have a princess love. So that's it. So it's a good question. But I, I, I noticed Spencer was trying to get in before you asked it. So I'll, I'll answer that question after I give Spencer a chance to, to say whatever he's going to say. Well, I, I would say in response to your question, I think the pro, I think the less is more helped her with episode three. And we'll get to that when we get to episode three. But I think she also got to act with emotions and physically more in episode three than she got in this. In this, she got to act off another person with romantic dialogue. And the dialogue was not good. And so that gives her a very limited frame of what to work with. She also had a lot more of it. Again, it's the most common scene in this film is the two of them being romantic with each other. And as a result of that, it inherently makes the entire experience of her character worse because you're focusing on the worst way of giving her material. Third, it plays to her strengths, and it gives it much more limited and conservative focus. Brevity is the soul of wit and all that. This is a hell of a lot of the worst that you can offer. I, I agree. I, they, they did a lot of telling instead of showing, a lot of just talking, a lot of just describing. And then, and then because I want to, I'm going to say, you know, when they did actually show something, it was almost like the most authentic human interaction between the two of them. It was them riding giant ticks in a field. Those things were creepy looking. Yeah. I didn't like well, I, I didn't. I, I, I mean, I'm not. Look, I'm not crazy. I didn't like the scenes of them two on the boo together. That was strange. It's just I just didn't like it. But that doesn't ruin the movie for me because the, the, the only good... one I the only one I accept is that one because I don't like because I think they look creepy. But but that scene at least was 
all right, they're out in the field with an animal that one can ride, and the hothead is going to show off and try to ride one, and he's what? not good at it because they're not to be ridden, and he doesn't know how, but, you know, he what? has clearly ridden some animals before, as shown by him knowing what to do later in the movie. And, and him what? showing off, and it seemed like they actually, the actors, thought it was funny. That was the only, like, legitimate interaction that they had. Uh, and then they showed, oh, you know, he already is kind of an authoritarian dick, and she's just waving off red flags. Yeah. Yeah. A couple, couple last points so we can move along. Uh, Lee, in support of your point, I would agree that the characters that are usually framed by the fandom as the worst in each movie are characters that are set up to fail based on what material they're given to work with. Quality of acting, you can debate whatever else, but in each film, the one that everybody bashes on is somebody that was given no plot, no material, and a storyline that was destined to make them look like shit. Except, and, ex- except for um, Jar Jar Binks. Well, Jar Jar yeah. Binks was Jar Jar Binks is just problem. a combination of every single thing you could go can wrong. Can we in talk a about the, the? I I actually really liked that the Senator Amidala has Jar Jar working for her because you know she made an alliance with the Gungans to save sure. the planet, and it would it would it would follow to me that she would want a representative of the Gungan people to go to Coruscant to help her participate in the Galactic Republic. Like, I agree. I thought that was kind of a cool detail. A lot of people complained about that, but I thought that was smart on her part. Um, I think we can we can all agree that the the romance between Anakin and Padme wasn't great. Um, but can we move on to maybe some other things? This is the last well, thing I'll say. Quick, quick. The best scenes between the two of them are the scenes where they're in action, and they should have focused on that as building their romance rather than scenes that were dedicated only to romance. And I think that would have been better. But let's, let's move well, on. And, and, well, and and we can remember that the the thing that turned hit her from. You're making me uncomfortable. I do not like this. Please stop. Into hold me tighter was the sand lines. That's apparently what does it for her. Yeah, I can already tell. Like you're, you're like the way you're even talking about it. Like, uh, do you have to skip scenes in large part? And then uh, how are you an apologist for this when you? No, I'm not. I'm just saying. No, it's just like the way you're. Like, how are they supposed to portray like dating? Like you, you like you're like. You're saying Lots, like oh, well, One Tree just, Hill, man. Come on, I don't know. Lots of shows. No, no, no. I know what you're doing, but like, I mean, I've seen this. I've seen this this point out there. Like, if a if a woman on screen tells a man, "No, I'm not interested," and the man continues to pursue, somehow that's problematic. I just I think that's oh, fucking crazy. No, no, that that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how she apparently changed her mind because of the dumbest things that he said, and not romantic at all. Not that he shouldn't have stuck, kept going. I'm just saying. Dude, okay, you brought your A game, and she said no. You then brought your C game, and is, is this pity? Like, w- she really came around when you were at your most mopey and not romantic, and there was nothing to show that as a good. I mean, obviously, I, I, what I they, you know what they were going for. The, she, he was being vulnerable, and she she connected with him on there. But I mean, look, it doesn't work. We all agree it doesn't work. What um, works? What works? Well, I, well, I'm trying to get to it. But all right, move on. You, move you, on. You both of you are wanting to get the last point in. I, we get it. It did. It was not good romance. Got it. Um, I'd like to talk about how um, Yoda and Mace Windu have a discussion about how the Jedi completely missed the clone army, right? Mm-hmm. And Mace Windu says, I think we probably need to tell the Senate that our ability to use the Force is compromised. Like, if we can't tell that... Um, Maester Cypher Diaz has commissioned an entire fucking army. Fifteen million man army. Right, and we haven't, we don't know that. Maybe we should tell the Republic. Yoda says, look, 
we can't let that secret out because in essence, like this is how I took it, his point. In essence, like then more people will know that we will be weaker and it will strengthen the whatever dark side forces are out here operating against us. When you guys heard that conversation, did you think Yoda made a good point or was he being overly proud? Um, that was actually one of my favorite scenes in the film because it's a mistake, but it's a delightfully in character mistake because yes. of the vulnerability it shows. I agree. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it, it is a moment of it's, it's a clear error, but I love the vulnerability, the innocence, the confusion of these characters that have become so casually dependent on prophecy. They've become so dependent on the idea that they don't actually need to have the resources to monitor the galaxy because they can't, but they have the abilities that let them do so. And the fact that that's failing, they look like lost children for a second in this scene, and they're almost flailing what to do about it. And so when they say, maybe we should tell the council that we're not everything they've come to rely on, you immediately goes, if we do that, we're screwed. If we do that, they'll second guess us forever. We've got too many enemies. We can't. And that is an in-character moment error. That is yep. perfectly believable. That is perfectly flawed. And I'm with it. I've actually complained to you guys. I don't like a lot of the moments of them showing the Jedi is so flawed. But this one worked with me because I, well, I liked how it was portrayed out. So I, I, I had an interesting thought about this. In a way, this uh, not necessarily makes better, but it fleshes out other everything about Yoda. It gets fleshed out by this. Um, so original trilogy, you know, Yoda seems to make mistakes, you know, drives him away, gives him more than he can handle, but it all works out in the end, and he's just so wise, he must have known, et cetera, et cetera. It's all part of the master plan. He's basically God. He can't do anything wrong, and whatever he does wrong is actually mm-hmm. right and secret. I think this is showing, no, no. He, he's just very lucky uh, in a lot. He's not actually <laughs> all He's not the wisest person in the world, even if people think he is. Who he, is? Um, me, because I'm... Well, I'm just saying, like, you're, you're saying he's not the wisest person in the world. Probably Palpatine. Well, he's, he, he, he's pretty he's not, fucking he, wise. Well, he's not infallible, that he makes mistakes, sure, that he does things agreed. wrong. Agreed. Um, you, can't, you can't take the wisdom of Yoda as, as face value automatically correct because he said it. And, you know, they hinted at that a little bit um, in the first one, where the other Jedi overrule him. Now, in that one, maybe he was right, but the fact he that was. they... It shows us that... <laughs> I would say yeah. so. <laughs> that, that is kind of funny that the one time they overrule him... Pretty sure he was, right. he was right. Yeah, yeah, I think he was right on training Anakin. You know, but uh, he was wrong in the original trilogy because he thought they shouldn't train Luke, and obviously they should have. So, uh, you know, he, he Yoda... Yes, Yoda... I think that what we see out of the Yoda character from my perspective is that when it comes to the geopolitical stuff, when it comes to how are we going to work with the Galactic Senate to deal with the separatist and this political extremist Count Dooku and this, the rising dark forces, that's not his wheelhouse. But when Yoda is talking to you about how you Spencer can find inner peace and how you Spencer can become a better Jedi and become stronger, that's when he really excels. So it seems to me like, they put they, like he's he's been around for so long and he's such a strong Jedi and he's such a great teacher of of the Jedi like way that they ele- elevated him into this position of like like geopolitics and that's fucking not his wheelhouse. Yo, Yoda's yeah. suffering from the Peter principle. He's been promoted outside of his abilities. I think so. Like I don't think this is really where he's, his strength is. Yeah, so, so 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 I said we're not here to talk about U.S. politics, but you're right. This is like. This is like if they said, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, we love you so much. We want you to be the whip of the, of the, such and such a party. It's like that, that, no, no, like, no, that's not, 
not not the thing that he's good at. He should be your like life guru and teach everyone in the Senate how to be awesome and meditate and not how to maneuver politics. He does come through in the end, but yeah, he he, he obviously that we see some weaknesses from the Yoda character. Go ahead, Spencer. It, it's it's interesting as well, just because because they have shortened the time frame of the Republic. Yoda is as old as the Republic is now. Uh, he is a thousand years old. Old Republic is a thousand years old. I think in some ways this is reflective of the fact that maybe because the Old Republic has demilitarized and they've instead made the Jedi so politically relevant that the Jedi in some ways gotten beyond what he's comfortable with. That he is a teacher. He views hmm. them as a monastic yeah. order. He views mm-hmm. them as a focus on the study and the practice and the development of the force. As, peace, as people that basically roam around almost like knights errant helping people. He doesn't want them to be involved in politics. And this may have just gotten beyond his control in terms of the, the old republic saving on budget returns by forcing the Jedi into a position they're just not comfortable nor competent to hold and maintain. Right, yeah. I mean, I think Jimmy's so, – so I think maybe the better analogy is if you, you made the Dalai Lama the president of the United States, right? Like – Sure. The Dalai Lama is, extre- in my opinion, extremely wise, and I, I really uh, uh, look up to the Dalai Lama, and I, I like to follow what he says, et cetera, et cetera. Do I want him crafting legislation about you know, our transportation policy 50 years out? Probably not. So, yeah, I think that's probably a good example of not, not his wheelhouse. I don't know him. I'm going to stick to Fred Rogers, but uh, I'm sure it's similar. But uh, can we talk about Anakin killing all the Tuscans for a second? Oh, uh, because. He- I have a couple problems. I have a couple problems with this. One, my problem is how in the fuck did, I mean, I understand that Hayden Christensen is a good looking guy. I mean, come on. I mean, you can't get around it. How in the fuck did Padme not have a serious problem? This is not a, oh man, I feel so bad for you because you had a bad day. This is a, what the fuck's wrong with you, you evil monster? And number two is I don't like the portrayal of the Tuscans as like, they just grab people and just torture them. I think there's implied rape. Like, mm-hmm. are you fucking kidding me? Like, I love the portrayal of the Tuscans in the Book of Boba Fett. Hate the portrayal of the Tuscans here. I think it's bullshit. It's too simplistic and mindless. I am fascinated that I mean, Jimmy. You talked about how she gets really into um, Anakin after talking about sand. It's after this scene that she gets really into it, is that she finds out that he murdered an entire tribe of Truscans and the children. He says the uh, women and children. He tells her the women and children, too. It's yeah. after so, this that she starts making out with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So weird. Oh, gosh. You're right. No, it, it's. It's played off as if it's just part of his trauma grieving process. And, oh, you know. He, he clearly made a mistake and overreacted. He needs to be, I need to save him. He needs to be trained. He needs to think about it. He can be better than this. It's like, no, he needs to go to jail for, like, genocide or crimes against humanity or mass murder or something. Like, Well, this, yeah, he's not going to, they're, 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 you know, that ain't going to happen. But, I, I, but I, 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 I will say, do not forget that at this time, that's nobody, when this came out, batted much of an eye about the Tuscans being like that. Because that was how they kind of been portrayed thus far. I agree. I, you, you, you're a, that's a great point, Jamie. I agree. But I, I think that I just like the portrayal of them in yes. the Book of Boba Fett so much that now yes. I look at it and I'm like, man, they, they did miss an opportunity here to make them a more nuanced people. Because I don't like any time in this type of like fantasy sci-fi where you have a non-human race and you just portray them as just brutes that are mindless and stupid. Like yep. that's like, I, it's not a moral problem. It's just boring. I have a it's it's boring television to watch to me. Yep. 
No, I, I buy that. And, and so there's something I want to share because I found out about it and you Ooh, might have known about it all along that, um, you know, I, I had been joking about, you know, uh, why don't they go save his mom? If they just had saved his mom a long time ago, then maybe we wouldn't have had the Death Star. Like, the world might have been better if it's just like, oh, hey, you know, this kid you love so much. <laughs> Remember how his mom's being abused in slavery? Oh. You know how you're rich and kind of the government? You could fix that? I found out. Prince Queen Amidala sent her handmaiden to try to fix it after they asked the Jedi to fix it. The Jedi said, we'll take care of it. And taking care of it was doing nothing. Jedi um, passivity is a through line that is fascinating to me. Um, but, so but I, but, but, I but, to but, point but, out, you, you vastly underrate the emperor. Uh, you could have saved fucking, you could have saved his mom. You could have made Anakin the nicest boy, the, the, just the best boy in the whole world. Like, it didn't matter. There was going to be a Death Star because Palpatine well, was around. Like, that wasn't going to stop that shit. Palpatine has shown that if you mess up his plans in a way that seems uh, total, he, he has another plan. So you are right. Something completely different would have had to happen, though. Yes. Because yes. if. If you hadn't gone this way, if he had just grown up with his mom on Coruscant, which, I mean, they wouldn't let that happen because they steal the kids away to be Jedi. But, um, you know, a lot would have played out probably differently because a lot of the movie was about him being kind of on the cusp of the light and the dark. Well, this was a huge, big, big push to the dark. If he hadn't had that, he might not have been on the cusp. He might have just been a moody light side user. He might have grown up to be like Windu, which who is just awesome at every turn. Um, but so. So they asked the Jedi, hey, go save his mom. And they said, we'll take care of it. And they didn't because. <laughs> Who's they? Who's they? Who's the they? Jedi. The Jedi. No, no, no. no. Who, who asked the Jedi to save his mom? I think Amidala. Okay. Padme. I think Padme asked the Jedi to do it. The Jedi said, we'll take care of it and didn't. So then uh, Padme sent her handmaiden with like money to just go buy her and just fix it. Um, and she had already been bought by Lars and freed, and so she wasn't a slave anymore. So they went to go fix it, and she was just, you know, living out her best life as best she could on her home with her husband. And maybe they could have told Anakin, I don't, maybe Anakin knew, no, he didn't know. Maybe they could have told him, maybe not, but they, they did close that plot hole of, oh yeah, what about how your mom's still a slave? Somebody took care of it, of all the, you know, most powerful people in the galaxy he was surrounded by, at least one of them did try to go take care of his family, which I, 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 I like that detail. I wish it had been at least hinted, but I accept it. So did, that removed one of my the, big criticisms. So I wanted to share it because I have other criticisms to move on to instead. Spencer, did you, get, did you guys notice Qui-Gon Jinn's cameo with respect to the massacre, by the way? Yes. Yeah. I, Wait, I had what? actually... I had not noticed that before of where uh, when it's happening, we cut to Yoda who's meditating and detecting you know, disturbances in the forest. And you distinctly hear Qui-Gon Jinn say, Anakin, Anakin, no. Yep. Yep. And, and we get that, that comes out in a uh, comic in a kind in the Darth Vader. I think it's Darth Vader comics. And there's a flashback um, where we get it from Anakin's perspective. And he very clearly hears uh, Qui-Gon say, Anakin, Anakin, no, he hears it. He internalizes it and he decides to go the other way. So it's not like a they're, they're, they didn't leave any room for interpretation there. Qui Gon reached out as best he could, trying to stop this from happening, and it didn't work. Uh, and all that Qui Gon did him. was that he took it from heat of passion manslaughter into premeditated murder by giving him a moment of reflection where he decided to do it on purpose. Way to go, Qui Gon! And then we castle murder. He's dead. What do you want? 
And then, well, you know, and, and there, George Lucas was still keeping with the propaganda in here, which is that Qui-Gon had the ability, because of what he had done to prep for his death, he had the ability to talk, um, but not show up as a Force ghost. That, that was kind of like a made canon before the Obi-Wan series. Um, that's why you didn't get Qui-Gon as a Force ghost. You got just his voice. But um, I did, and then we cut back, and then Yoda, you know, says something terrible has happened. Young Skywalker is in pain. My question for you guys is, you know, should Yoda have done more here? Should he have said, yes. you know, like should, I need to, I need to either expel him. I mean, they expelled Ahsoka for worse. Like, should we expel him from the Jedi Order? Should I counsel him one on one? Should I? Wait for should worse? I? Or no, less. less sorry, okay. Not less. I, yeah, I, I expelled Ahsoka that, for so less. Spoilers, man. Come on, but yeah, I, I want to make sure I understood what she did that was worse. No, no, no. Than you're you're you, you have to know that Ahsoka is is not a Jedi anymore because you saw Mandalorian season two. So I didn't spoil anything. Um, so, but, uh, but my point my point is maybe Yoda should have done more. I uh, one of the things that I wish Yoda had done is just stepped in and said, "Hey, Obi Wan, this has been great. He is now my Padawan." Like, <laughs> mm, uh, mm. I am going to keep him right here next to me because this kid's getting out of fucking control. And you mean well, but as as cool as you are, Obi-Wan, I don't think you're knocking it out of the park here. Uh, I yep. would agree with you. I, mean, I, I think, honestly, they should have expe- They should have at least investigated what the hell was going on. So they get this kind of disturbance in the Force. They should really follow up. Space it's weird jail. that they don't. Space um, jail forever. Two crimes. They should. He should he, he should have long since been either officially punished or even expelled from the Jedi Order for any number of issues that he's been doing, particularly this when it comes out. This is not something you just walk back. Point number three, I'm very much with you that Obi-Wan throughout this series fails as a teacher of uh, Anakin in no other reason that he is willfully blind to Anakin's f- faults and the negative direction he's going in. Um, but it, one one thing they do say with respect to some of the points I've made there is that they do note. I forgot this scene when they're talking when Anakin, when Obi Wan's talking with him. I don't not really comfortable with Anakin getting this job. I think it's Mace Windu says, "Well, we need him. You know that he's the one that's going to bring balance to the Force, right?" They're just putting so much weight on this prophecy that Anakin's the miracle child that he is the he the child shall lead them kind of shit that they're willing to overlook everything because they are just hopeful that he's going to fix every aspect of the of the world that's crumbling around them. And you know that's another fault and foible of their dependence on prophecy, which is a ma- which is a massive inconsistency with Mace Windu's character because Mace Windu does not like Anakin, doesn't yeah. like him personally, has an issue with him, comes to almost comes to blows with him multiple times. And I also would like to point out that like as much as we can criticize a lot of the things that Yoda's done, Yoda really didn't take put a lot of stock into that prophecy ever. Like he, he very mm-hmm. much was like, uh, what did you, what, he's the what? Okay, well we're still gonna, not still not going to train him because we have rules, and he's too mm-hmm. old. He has too many attachments, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, Yoda, you know, ultimately Yoda was right there. Um, but yeah, I just I just think how they how they handle Anakin at this stage and then throughout the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars cartoon is is interesting because I I do think that like they're Clone amazing. Wars is better. Yeah, well, but they're, but they do, they still give him a lot of leeway. And I think that it's partly the yeah. prophecy. It's partly failing on their part, uh, trusting Obi-Wan too much. And then I think there's also a component of they're marveled by his power. I mean, he is incredibly, incredibly strong for where he's at in his training. And I think that kind of amazes them too. Um, in terms of where the movie goes next, I feel like we're going to, uh, Genosis. From here, and we spend basically the entire movie from there, don't we? 
Yeah, so I'm going to give you a chance to fuss about Christopher Lee. Uh, Spencer, do you want to fuss about Christopher Lee and his casting? Why? Uh, I th- he's a great actor. He, he, he's, he's a great actor. Uh, he has been in some wonderful films over the course of a very long career. He's an incredibly impressive individual, and he's utterly wasted in this role. Okay. Uh, yeah, they well, give I, him basically no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. That they, they give him basically no dialogue to work with. They give him very few, even just real actors to work off of. Um, and it, it, it's just a shame to see those kind of talents wasted on a character that has very few lines and very little interaction other than to appear rigid. Uh, Jamie? So, I mean, the only real, the only, he gets two real scenes as far as I'm concerned. One is the first one where he's talking to Obi-Wan and maybe this just shows, you know, think of it like the street fighter movie and you had, you know, the guy from Adam's family, who's just so good at what he does. He's just like chewing up the scenery. His level of acting is better than what they've written him for. He, when he's allowed to, he's just doing a great job in that scene. I couldn't remember if he believed the stuff he was saying or not. I had seen the movie Mm -hmm. before, but on the rewatch, I was thinking, wait, does he really think that he's on the side of the light side and he's stopping the Sith that's under covering. He's telling us things that, that the, they didn't know already. He's sharing secrets that the dark wouldn't want. Does he, does he think he's right? Maybe he is right. Um, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, you find, nope, nope. It was, he, he, he was giving just he's in a shit, yeah. sort of way. He was giving just enough truth so that you would believe his lies kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he did such a good job at it. And the second one's the lightsaber scene, which we'll talk about later, because that comes later. But um, the one scene that he got to actually do, I loved. I thought he did great and fine. He has a small role. You can have good actors in small roles. Call it a cameo. Sure. I thought he's he did he's happy to do those kind of roles, yeah. I thought, I thought, I, I just don't, I mean, it's okay, but I just completely disagree with Spencer. I, just, I think he did a great job. I think the Count Dooku character is fascinating. I love, I love, like, the fact that he's, like, considered... As strong as maybe Mace Windu. I mean, he is a big fucking deal in the Jedi Order when he becomes radicalized. And, you know, he's so powerful that when he comes over and becomes the Sith apprentice to Darth Sidious, he actually thinks he's going to take over and become the, the Sith master. He he is fairly certain when he comes over that he's stronger than Sidious in that moment. It it shocks him to the very end that he does not succeed and that Sidious turns on him and is actually outsmarting him. I think Christopher Lee, every time he has a chance, like to Jamie's point, every time he has a chance, he's great. I think you could just have him read a phone book and he's awesome. And, and the interjection, <laughs> the interjection of that into this film where there is a lot of questionable acting because they're going off green screens. There's some chemistry issues. There's a lot of script issues. I thought it was a breath of fresh air to have somebody crush their lines. So I really liked that he was in the film. It may uh, you know, bring attention to the bad acting, just to have something that's so almost out of place. But I, I like to find I have no problem with him. He did great and I'm okay putting good actors in. That's fine. I think he does I think he does well with what he gets. I wish they gave him more, and part of that buying thing is how poorly I think he's treated in episode three. They will get there too. Of where I think he's the best new character we get out of this film that they then don't know what to do with. But that's more of a problem we'll see in episode three, maybe, than this film. I wish they portrayed his power. They do it in the Clone Wars. I wish they'd have portrayed how, just how strong he is and how, like, impressive and scared of him most of the Jedi are um, when he becomes radicalized. Like, he he's a big fucking deal, and I, I, I just really like the character a lot. And, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me that Yoda would have to fight him. Um, because, you know, he's just not somebody you would send. Like when Obi-Wan is, is battling him, it is abundantly clear as, as now he's overwhelmed. We, 
Yeah, he's overwhelmed. And it's what's so cool is that like Obi Wan on paper should lose to everybody he ever fights on because <laughs> he has like Spencer earmuffs has a lower midichlorian count. He oh. only has one only has one fighting style and it's a defensive fighting style. Like, he's not supposed to be beating these people that he beats. But he finally runs up against it with Count Dooku because he can he can't do shit with Dooku and it takes Yoda to finally get somebody to to make a little progress on him, yeah. which I I like that too. I like that um, Yoda kind of you know you know did a little shrugged his shoulders, got the got the blood flowing a little bit, came out of retirement and 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 fought Dooku, which I enjoyed that scene. But I know that there's probably going to be some criticisms of that too. But anyway, that's how, that's my thoughts on the Dooku character, Jamie. So, um. Before we, I, I, uh, not to sidetrack us too much, time's short. I actually love the scene in the library with the librarian saying, "If the if the archives are not wrong," um, and I know in, in in the expanded lore, she actually gets like she's, she's a beloved character, as yeah, she's the most beloved. dangerous person to the empire because she knows facts. You know that you, you kill the lawyers and librarians when you're a fascist. You know, take the people out who actually know the truth. And she was a force, uh, and and not just as like a joke throwaway, but she actually was. Uh, and I love that. I love that scene. Uh, Is there the weird diner was kind of weird. <laughs> actually, what, what was diner. your question? What was your question I, about the library? Well, I, I, I can re- can relate the two. I actually like the diner. The scene with the diner is one of my favorite scenes, just because it feels so delightfully casual in an otherwise stilted film. I think yeah. the actor who plays the diner with his, I, I don't think he's really been anything else I've seen it before, but the voice actor does a good job of just being Thanks, yeah. a, a guy, just a dude, a friend of Obi-Wan. Yeah, and we get to see Obi-Wan just be a guy, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Ewan McGregor's acting in this, he's a good actor. His acting in mm-hmm. most of this film is really stilted, much more than even some of the, the, the other the prequels. But in that moment when he's just interacting with a friend, I know he's just working up a green screen character, but it feels like his most natural human acting we otherwise see in the film. So I actually like that scene, even if it's completely throwaway, just because it's actually well done. And um, I didn't say it was bad. It's just it's just weird. Maybe maybe it's that sure. for some reason the CG there feels weird. For some reason the interjecting a very clearly like 1950s American diner or dive was- bar of current day America into Coruscant felt weird because it was just so clearly lifted whole ham from the real world. Um, so it, it, it was, felt, it, it, it was I don't know, the, the idea of it, and you're right, those interactions were good. It was just a little weird. Uh, but I did it, love it. That was one example where they did, even as they were literally just giving exposition, they were showing instead of telling. They didn't have to say, oh, hey, remember when you and I were buddies in the something something? So it's like, no, they're old friends. Oh, remember when you went into retirement and opened up a diner? No, it's clear. This is a guy who Jedi go to for war advice, and he's in a diner. He gave up the lifestyle at some point. It it is a really good example of good storytelling and just some weird visuals. But right. it, was, it was okay. I mean, George Lucas loves classic films, and he loves mm-hmm. to do homages to classic films. This scene in the diner, the investigation in the archives, the traveling to Camino, is straight up film noir. He is portraying yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi as a Philip Marlowe. As the, you know, the, cl- yes. the classic, you know, hard shoe detective yep. that's hunting down a crime and trying to solve it. That's what he's going for. And that's why it's so an on the nose diner. Cause that looks like it's a straight up scene played by Humphrey Bogart meeting, me- meeting in some bar to, get, to interview, to interview a guy. Yeah. What about these marks? Don't worry about it. I know a guy. I, 
Yeah, yeah and Douglas kind of talks like that, right? Yeah, see, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, yeah. He even does a little bit of that. I agree. They bring Dex back in the in the Brotherhood book with uh, Mike Chen. Like, uh, that's the the start of the book is uh, another scene where Obi Wan goes to Dex and gets help. And I think that I don't know. I think they were they they brought that back because it was a lot of people really liked it. I think there was a lot of positive reception to that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had as much confusion as Obi Wan does with respect to it, other than that he's just an utter true believer and believes that if they're the archives, must be sacrosanct. Because if he's any uncertainty or confusion, he can just go back to his dude, friend and say, "Hey, so you know that planet you're talking about? Can you just take me there or talk to the guy that you knew so you can take me there?" It shouldn't be that big of a deal, but he feels that he'd have to go to Master Yoda almost to have a you know a religious explanation point that the Bible didn't explain this point. But Lee, as you've often noted, Obi Wan is such a true believer. I guess I'm willing to buy it that the fact that his reality is not perfectly matching up with his beliefs requires him to go talk to his master to explain it. Yeah, and I think Yoda does a pretty, you know, because I think that after uh, Qui-Gon dies, I think that Obi-Wan is, uh, Yoda's Obi-Wan's de facto master. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and he does a good, I think Yobi, uh, I think that is another scene that shows, like, Yoda's value, right? Because, like, Sure. He Yoda does make he, Yoda does make some mistakes in the film, especially when we start we're talking about sort of the higher level stuff. Um, but the uh, you know when he's actually doing the one on one teaching and lessons and stuff that that was I think really good and and that scene with him and Obi Wan I thought was was really solid. Spencer, I, I like. I, I, I was going to say, do you think every law school professor who for some reason sticks to the questionable Socratic method thinks they're Yoda? Because this is like the best actual use of Socratic method I've ever heard of. It's very well done, and I like the scene other than one detail that actually is something I don't like about the whole film. I hate the little kid lightsabers. I fucking hate the little kid lightsabers that are occurring in that scene. Okay, all right, let, let's stop. Let's stop. Spencer, do your lightsaber, Jack. I hate how much this film emphasizes that to be a Jedi is to be a lightsaber. It, it, there's just no separation between the two. I hate Obi-Wan's line about... When he talks to Anakin about losing a lightsaber, this lightsaber is your life. Is that what he says? Is that what he literally says? Something like that? He, yeah, he's got some sort of line like that. I remember we hearing I, it and thinking, oh, Spencer's going to be mad at that. I don't I don't like that emphasis on it because it, it doesn't fit any aspect of what the Jedi Order is. It treats them all as if they are Jedi Knights. It treats them all as if they are warriors and soldiers, which they explicitly, repeatedly say throughout the film and the lore and everything else. They're not. So seeing five-year-olds train with lightsabers, which is completely different than everything we've heard before about the lightsaber is the last aspect of your training that you make because it's the one you wield throughout your all of your life. No, I, no way the little three-year-old's going to be using that lightsaber when he's 30. Wow. Um, Man, he, boy, he, you have aged down those children. They started at 10, 8, and now you just said 3. How old are these kids? How old I mean, do you they, think they, they are? They're, they're about 8 years old. Okay. All okay. right. Let's settle on an age and still, stick with it. For, for the record, I did make that up, but looking at them and looking at children that I see, they're they're about eight years old. Sure, whatever age they are, they still wouldn't have had their own individual lightsabers that age for a variety of reasons, much less made their own. And then the scene with Yoda you mentioned, I hate the emphasis on the idea that to demonstrate Yoda is powerful, he has to be good with a lightsaber. That is so limiting, that is so ignoring so much of what the Jedi Order should be about and so much about what power an individual can represent. And so not in keeping with how Yoda was portrayed back in Empire Strikes Back that I liked, before he's diminutive. He's not the great warrior. Luke's put off by the fact that I was here to see a great warrior. Look cool, at you. great warrior, yes. Yes. And, but he represents through his command of the Force, through his wisdom and everything else, how powerful he is, how broad the understanding of the Force should be, and how much Luke has to learn about it. 
And here, they show him as just this Tasmanian devil of whipping power with his lightsaber to depict him as strong. And I think that is limiting. I think that it provides some very negative stereotypes and negative representation about what the Jedi should represent and do represent. And I think it's a mistake on Luke's part to so many times this film say to have a lightsaber is to be a Jedi. So that's that's enough of my rant on that topic. I've given it to Lee several times before. So so, so I'll, I'll jump in. I, I, I mostly agree, I think. Because they, they tie those so closely together, I've had multiple people question whether non-Force users can even turn on a lightsaber or not. Like, how did Luke turn it on before he had this? You know, um, you know oh, this, this fan fiction shows somebody doing it. They must be Force-sensitive. It's like, no, it, it anybody is can still, turn, anybody, anybody can, can turn it on. It is just a tool. Um, and then, you know, there, there's other weird things. Like, I'm so confused on how the Darksaber does its stuff. We'll talk about that another day. But, yeah, that's a weird one. but, but the idea is they, they emphasize it so hard that it confused people in bad ways. And, I, you know, we're, we're jumping around a little bit, and I think that's fine. Um, the, the, the fight scene between him and Dooku. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. I want oh, I, I do want, uh, well, no, I, we, we can get to that. I just wanted, I, I wanted to give your, you a chance to respond to Spencer's rant on the lightsaber. And I'll, I'll just say my piece on it, and then we'll go mm-hmm. to the fight scene. Um, you know, I don't love the, the, to have the saber as your life. I don't know, whatever the fuck the line was. I think they could have, what I th- was thinking he was trying to say is like basically just don't lose your fucking lightsaber, dude. Like it's pretty important because that's how we fight when, you know, it gets really sideways. And I mean, that was, you know, introduced in the first four, 30 minutes of episode four. I mean, that's, how, that's like a basis of Star Wars that Jedi's use lightsabers. Uh, George Lucas didn't want to get away with that. The, the idea that Yoda uses a lightsaber, like, I don't know. Like you said, like there, like there are other ways to portray him as strong. They do. They portray him as strong in other ways, a lot, in a lot of different media and a lot of different films. This is just yet another example of how strong he is. That yeah, when when he comes to blows, Yoda can fight. And I never took it. Maybe I'm wrong. I never took it. And Empire Strikes Back as Yoda wasn't a great warrior. I thought that when Luke says, I came here looking for a great warrior and I found you, it shows Luke's fucking ignorance. Yoda is one of the greatest warriors in, in Jedi history. Of course he can fight if he's got to, which we see. I thought that, that was showing Luke's ignorance, not that Yoda wasn't actually a warrior. But so you don't like, need to command a lightsaber to be a warrior is my point. And the so fact like, that it's being betrayed in that way is just falling into the exact same vein the entire film is building about how to betray Jedi's as fighters or whatever else. And you always say, like, I don't like Yoda looking like a Tasmanian devil. You, you have, you've used that, that phrase a lot when you're talking. And you, what it does is it makes his – when you say that, it makes his – you, you portray him as cartoonish and silly, but it's like, I don't know how else somebody's two foot tall is supposed to fight somebody. Like, I, he's got to jump. He's got to get on that, got to get a high, get on their level to attack. I don't know how, how the fuck else they were supposed to portray it. Now, you might just say they shouldn't have portrayed it at all. Totally fair. That's absolutely reasonable. Mm-hmm. But if he's going to have a lightsaber fight, he's got to jump. He's got to spin. He's got to do some things because he's fucking given up. You know, he's, 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 you know, a quarter tall as the person he's fighting. So I, I, I had no my, problem with that. I so, guess you, my position is they shouldn't have portrayed it at all, but you already called that. So fair, 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 I, ahead, fair enough. I, I'm, I, I have some conflicting thoughts, actually. I, I think um, I was going to say that what what would you have had them do? And I'm trying to think what would I have had them do if he wasn't using a lightsaber? You wouldn't want to portray him as defenseless. 
what if no. what what if you played the scene just like it was? You know, oh lightning blast and Yoda's just like, Oh, I can I can hold no, I don't care about that. Uh rocks fall, Yoda's like, eh, I can do it with less energy and just stop you. And then he said, Lightsaber, and Yoda just like said, I lift you an inch in the air. You're floating now. Yeah, it, it needed to be that. Where it's almost reality bending. It's just like this is this is a no sell. You don't get beyond this. This is a guy that has such command of the force that he cancels out whatever you can attempt. Yeah, that would have been the way to kind of portray him as power. I would have liked that a lot. And I don't know how you would have then had the guy escape if that was. And maybe that was it. They tried that and they backed themselves into a corner. Look, if Yoda can just say no uh, to anything, then the same way, the same way they did, though, protecting the others. Okay, yeah, you're right. Even while floating, he could have just thrown some rocks at the other guys. Um, Because he did have to be cool if he was almost more like Neo of just like. um, Well, so. Oh, actually, this analogy works better. With Neo, it's, I shoot bullets at you, and he's just like, I don't need to dodge them. I can just stop them. Like, oh, I, I come at you with my lightsaber. It's like, I don't need to block you. You just aren't lightsabering me anymore because I don't let you. But then, you know, the whole bullet time spinning around and fighting with one hand is another thing. They kind of try to do both in the Matrix and only the fast spinny thing here. Quick question. You talked about how there's six lightsaber styles. Yeah. Is this one of those, or is this a seventh? And is it similar to how in number three, Palpatine jumps and spins through the air? Yeah, Yoda Yoda commands, I believe, four of the six. So he uses a variety of different ones, but, like, Yoda actually commands the one, I don't have the names in front of me, that is the most aggressive non-Sith version. So, like, a lot of the jumping and spinning he's doing is because he's being aggressive and is attacking. He's actually the aggressor in a lot of the scenes with Dooku, which is actually shocking, because Dooku is a very aggressive lightsaber battler. And that's why, like, everyone is sort of, like, when they talk about Yoda, they're like, yeah, well, when Yoda, Yoda throws down, it's trouble, because he is the aggressor. He attacks hard, and typically... Uh, in, in, in Star Wars lore, when, when Yoda's had to, to pull a lightsaber out, it, it, it goes quick because of how, because of the, the style that he does. He, he absolutely does not fight like Obi-Wan does. Yeah, I kinda, I don't start it, but I finish it kind of thing. Kinda, um, yeah. And, and I mean, one thing that like, st- like I love doing these podcasts with you guys, but sometimes I get frustrated because you, you both, in my opinion, are similar in the sense that you're very analytical in how you look at it and very, not emotional, like for a large segment of the, analyzing, uh, man. This what yeah, but yeah, but, we're attorneys. We have no emotions. Yeah, like, but but for a large segment of the population that watched Star Wars, myself included, it was just fucking cool to see Yoda yeah. pull a lightsaber out, whack somebody. Like but, that was awesome. Like the the theater cheered when he pulled yeah. it out when he yep. started fighting. I remember I had some friends who were running a movie theater, which was absolutely crazy um, when they were in high school. And they watched it the night before. I think they watched it two nights before. They watched it way before you were supposed to watch it. And they came in, and the only thing they told me was Yoda pulls out. A light. Yoda gets in the lightsaber fight, and it's awesome. That's what yeah. they remember. Now it's a high school kid talking, right? But my point is, is that for a lot of people, it was just really cool, and they didn't like sit and break it down in such a like, like, you know, beautiful mind analytical way. It, it was more of just an emotional response to it, which I think was very positive for a lot of people. And, and and I remember that, and I felt the same way. And I was, you know, in high school, and you know, I don't remember watching episode one. I remember watching episode two very clearly. I remember who left to go to the bathroom and missed the Jedi scene, and they were sad that they had missed the the fight. Um, it, it it was cool. It is still cool. And in high, I I 
I never completely understood it and I never knew quite what to do with it. But him doing that, but still being, you know, with his cane and stuff, like afterwards he's still limping and it's not an affectation, but that gave me a lot. I thought about that a lot afterwards. And, and, um, you know, is he, was that him just putting his pain to the side and not indulging in it? Was that he can always do that? Was it he used up, you know, he has to go lay down for a few weeks because he used up all his reserves. Uh, and I almost think, because of just the vast difference, it's almost like in Doctor Strange, where he doesn't cure his hand problems. He just uses magic to move his hands, and he's not even using his hand muscles anymore. Like that Yoda, it's not that he's that strong and fast, because he's clearly not. He's small and has small muscles and has arthritis. It's the force is what lets him spin that way. He throws himself with the force. And that's really cool. It is. Yeah, um, and at least at least consistent, right? Because like yeah. um the Emperor, you know, is older and struggles to, to walk and do just normal stuff. But when he gets in fighting mode, he's jumping and spinning and kicking well, and, and, So and, I mean it's at least consistent between the two well, characters. Well the Emperor might be not that old and and weak. He might be putting on a show, but Yoda's not. Yoda's well, no, he's in like his that. he's in his he's in his sixties when when this happens. Um, look, look, when it happens. Look, Ginkgo Biloba that some find unnatural. The dude's as old as he wants to be. So anyway, I, um, I said a lot about the the yeah. fight, but I I think I think that the, I see both the moral, Yeah, the I'm moral okay of the story here is that Yoda does pull out a lightsaber and he does wail on Dooku and. With when you take all the media in together, it's a pretty seminal scene. Yoda fighting Dooku, and the fact that he, he I think Yoda bests Dooku, but he, ha, you know, he does let Dooku escape by by saving the people. That's yeah. very deeply for Yoda. And I think Spencer makes a great point that you could have, you probably could have done that without lightsaber. I think that Lucas made the call that more people would have wanted to see Yoda fight with a lightsaber. So I don't know. Just, I agree. Yeah, just, I, I, just, I, I, just preference. So from a pure marketing perspective, Lucas made the right call. It is a fan favorite scene. It never worked with me. This just shows how soulless I've been ever since yeah. I was in high school. I I thought even at the time it looked silly, and that informed a lot of my beliefs afterwards about just not liking the imagery of it. Okay. But I do like, from a power standpoint, I think it's an important scene for Dooku to have defeated in turn Anakin from being rash and arrogant, yep. Obi Wan from just simply being overwhelmed. And then Yoda coming in and kicking his ass is an important statement about relative levels of power and relative weaknesses the movie needed to portray, and it did so through action rather than shitty dialogue. So I will give it that credit. I, well, yeah, and, on, I, and Spencer, it was very Spencer. Come on, you, you, we missed out on a scene where they all pull out their calculators and compare midichlorian counts. <laughs> it was, you know, if I did say that word, I lose a year of my life. So please stop saying it. No, the midichlorian. <laughs> well, uh, look, only, oh. a, only a cis speaks in absolute. So, um, no, oh, oh my man, my man. The uh, <laughs> the uh, I I agree, Spencer. I I absolutely love that Anakin gets rocked. Obi-Wan hangs in there but is bested and Yoda is able to defeat him. It shows it shows the power structure and it was very important that they show Yoda look strong in a battle because he knew he had episode three coming and he knew that Palpatine was going to – I mean I my, – my view on it – we'll get to that, that when we get there. But my view on that was always that it was more of a stalemate than what people – generally think. I think a lot of people think that Palpatine bested Yoda, but either way, it was important to show Yoda's strength and his ability to fight in this in this um oh. in this thing and they did it. And and they also, you know, they also allowed this is one of the reasons I I love this film. They also allowed Yoda to be the hero. Yoda yeah. comes in with the army and saves the day. 
That's mm-hmm. fucking awesome. Yoda's my favorite Star Wars character of all time. I just love that they gave him that, that he's the one that went to Camino. He's the one that had the foresight to say, you know what? I think we need to load some of these folks up. I think we, that we'll have some use for him. And he goes and he saves all the Jedi that are there left on um, how, Geonosis. How, how many it, Jedi die? A lot. Yeah, a lot A lot die for sure. I, I feel almost they're too casual about that. We said there's not that many Jedi in the galaxy. And like what? Dozens, a hundred Jedi just die in that one moment. Yeah, a lot. That, that is disastrous beyond belief to their order. I feel like they're almost too casual about passing that off, and or at least Mace Windu is not that great of a battlefield commander, or at least gets well in over his head quick when it comes when it comes down to it. Because that is, even if they ultimately win the day, the Jedi Order lost heavily on that fight. Well, well it was I, a it was a failure of Windu. They, they say it. Yeah, they, they do say, say it. A victory, you say. No, this was a this was a defeat. This was terrible. Like I I lo- I did like that because you feel victorious, and he's like, uh uh-uh, uh, no no, this today is a bad day. Great great point, Jamie. Yoda does call out that this was no victory, and and he also, which I really liked, said this is no victory because this is the start of a war, and that's not a, that's not a victory for anyone. Go ahead, Spencer. And that, that is the point I was going to make. That is what he means when he says that. I don't think he's ca- talking necessarily about the casualties. He's talking about this just means that we have now know a war has begun. There's nothing to celebrate about that. The day is not over. I also think that the Jedi, the Jedi's losses on Geonosis can be chalked up a lot to the Mace Windu character and how Mace Windu's weaknesses, which we talked about. We, we, yeah, what well, it, what we, well, well, we talked about in the last podcast how Mace Windu does use a fighting style of Sith and he is able to tap into the dark side to fight in a way that a lot of the other Jedi's do not and, and would awesome, not right. would not do. Well yeah, but but he he's a little too aggressive here in this scene, I think. Okay. Um fair. and and that results in some well, losses. Fair enough. I mean his sneakiness was we're gonna go in the middle of everybody and then uncover so it's like wait, your your sneakiness was you choose to become surrounded? Um, it's a dumb plan. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's not smart. Plan. And and you know, I I will I hear you guys. I hear the criticism, and I, re- I obviously respect your opinion because I do a podcast with you, and you're, you're my best friends. But the fact that Yoda comes in with the fucking clone army it's awesome, and waxes awesome. people's ass, I'm fucking so stoked. Uh, Although, I, one thing happened in that I want to point out. Spencer, I was with you on this. So he said, I think the quote, quote is, around the survivors, a perimeter create. And I was like, ugh, I think they've gone too far with it. I was with you on that. I, was uh, like, I, was, I think Spencer's I right. So, I think they went too far. <laughs> I'm going to strike that off my least favorite quote section and not address it. But I wrote that one down as, oh, God. God that was, that was bad. I am with you on that, dude. That was terrible. Although it was not the worst quote. For, we're, we're, we're getting into the, the final stretch here, so I'll, I'll, I'll drop it. The, that was not the worst quote of the entire sequence. The worst quote of the entire sequence, and literally I went, ugh. Which you, you, both of you guys have heard me do just involuntarily before. This it came it comes from Padme when she says, "I've been dying a little bit since you came back into my oh life." Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! That's terrible. I, I'm I'm going to do something fun because this is like a 30 minute action scene at the end of this. I'm going to say two things I liked and two things I didn't like. Okay? okay, but two things I liked. One, as you said, Yoda's rescue. Is great. It's perfectly timed. It's dramatic. We get to see the clone army in action. Kudos to them. Point number two. Hayden Christensen and um, Natalie Portman work a lot better off each other when they are killing other people, which I think may say something about the two little sadist bastards that they may actually be. Um, but I think they have much more natural chemistry when they are engaged in action and something other than kissy-kissy, romantic, only just the two of us in the scene dialogue. I think they do much better with respect to that. 
Two things I don't like. One, everything that they did with C-3PO throughout this entire scene, uh, is, yeah. he is just such it's forced tough. comedy. It's, it's awkward. Tough. It's tough. Point, point number two is more of a general problem, but I think this is worst done in Attack on the Clones. Everything on this is just laser light show green screen, and it takes me out of it. As much as I like Yoda's appearance coming in, I feel very little with respect to any of the battle that occurs there afterwards because it has no weight. It has no substance. It has no feeling of impact on any characters I care about or anything else. It's just like I'm watching a video game battle scene in the background. And I think that's just, that's kind of like an overall production fault of Lucas of where he tried to go really, really big and it lost a lot of the actual engagement for me in terms of how he went about doing it. Okay. Jamie, do you want to do two things you like, two things you didn't like from the, from the battle sequence on Geonosis? Or, uh, uh, Camino? I, I, Sorry, don't know if I, have, uh, yeah, so I love, 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 and have always loved, and have never stopped loving, and we were watching it, loved it again. Um, the big part of the fight, actually, with the drone ships trying to escape, and the <laughs> stuff blowing up, and the rolling wheels, and just showing, I, I love, and I, I'm a sucker for this, I really am. Whenever you have, like, the base model of something in a movie, but then you have the, all the variations on it, all the specialized types of it, you know, I, I loved how the toys for the alien movies had the alien that was. Oh my god! You're talking to your spirit animal and Spencer. Over there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I love that. So seeing the droids that were just on rollers and seeing the the walkers that the you know that the uh, clones had and seeing how they were, I loved everything about that. The, the whole thing of it still do. It held up. The CG looks a little more dated, but beyond that, which I don't blame it for because time happens to us all like i love that and, and my uh so I, I i love that i hate it i would have one of each everything with Bo with uh jango fett i felt like every moment with him with the exception of meeting him was a wasted opportunity i thought that was interesting and fascinating and you're going to find out and maybe he was devoted dad and he has you know different abilities and he's a character and then it's just no kind of not just a plot device a plot I device like for the army and a plot device for boba fett and i i hated every part of it okay well i'll talk about two things i like uh the, obviously the number one thing for me is is yoda's appearance in the battle mm -hmm. uh his foresight to know that they, they were probably going to be in trouble that he needed to bring the clone army i i just loved it all it showed him his strength as a leader, and he saves everybody's ass. Shout out Yoda. The second thing I like is I liked um, the – we talked about showing relative power, right, which we did during the Doku, Dooku scene. I think we also got it in this film through Jango Fett because Obi-Wan and Jango have this great fight of Jedi versus Mandalorian. Oh, and it is – it is a – I mean it is – Ted, Ted. I mean, it, they are. That, that, they that's are, a fine fight. That's that's a fun, interesting thing. I, I did fine on that. Right, but but when when Django decides to take on Mace Windu, it's a different fucking story because Mace Windu don't play right, and Mace Windu obviously much stronger. Obviously much stronger than Obi Wan, and he ki he kills him in a way that is so fast and so brutal for Star Wars. It's shocking on screen, like. Yeah. To just behead him right in front of his kid, like no, nothing happened, and that was Lucas, I think, set, trying to show the audience. You know, it doesn't have a. I know it's a, it, there's stuff you can cut from this movie, but it doesn't have a lot of time to delve into every single character. Like he doesn't have a lot of time to give you Mace Windu's background, and I think that like Mace Windu just lopping that fucker's head off, like shows you that he's a different cat than even like Yoda is. 
he it, does, he has a he has an aggressive streak in him that that we we got to see on full display. It was also good character building for Boba Fett as a villain too. Yes, just like yeah. hey, this guy's cradling the the dismembered head of his father. Maybe this is a guy that's going to have a rough childhood from here and a rough development as a person. Yeah, and 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 child Boba kidnapping Mace Windu. We're going to strike that from the canon. That was stupid. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't that doesn't happen in our our world. Uh, two things I don't like. Um, I've been dying a little bit inside since I met you. Oh my god, that's the worst shit I've ever heard. Um, I hated that shit, and then I also hated that Dooku didn't get down in the action. I would have loved to seen Dooku's just like because I feel like Dooku's a really really confident in his own abilities. I'd have loved to seen um, a scene where he got down there with the droid army and started going after the Jedi. I thought that would maybe a missed opportunity if they could have somehow worked that into the plot. But that's a that's a that was a fun. Kind of thing to do, Spencer. Two things you liked it, Mike, about because that is a seminal scene, right? Um, sure. That 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 whole battle there on Geonosis, and it does set the stage for what happens in the Clone Wars, and then Episode Three, where you have the Clone Army, and then you have the Trade Federation and all those fucking droids. And the hilarious part about the entire thing is that Palpatine has control over both armies. So, yep, yeah, <laughs> a man wins in the end, no matter what happens. Palpatine has a plan. Palpatine always has a plan. Um, all right. What, what do we want to? What do we want to do for the last 15 minutes here? Um, I liked Jamie's um, idea in the last podcast where we say, try to make a case for why this is the best and why this is the worst Star Wars movie. Do we want to do that? Yeah, I, I can start. Okay. Yes. Thanks. Go. Uh, I will say that this is the best Star Wars because it is more directly responsible for inspiring more modern Star Wars media than any other movie. That this yeah. is the movie that inspired Clone Wars. This is the movie that inspired so much comic books, video games, media since then. That would not exist, and a lot of good material, if this movie didn't happen. This is the most, I would say, of the modern era, directly inspirational, directly leading to derivative works of any other Star Wars movie. And it deserves to be recognized in that regard. It is maybe not, in that, I, I'm almost going to do a modification of best to say most important of the Star Wars movies that have occurred since the original trilogy. So I'll I'll offer that in terms of my best point. Worst point, I think it is far and away the single worst combination of script and acting of any Star Wars movie that's been made. There are many reasons for that, not all of which in any way can be just levied on top of the actors, of course. Script material, set dressing, lack of setting, um, maybe just even lack of prep or lack of uh, multiple takes done with respect to lines in terms of focusing on other things. But it makes scenes of this movie, which are important, as bad as the rant scenes are, they are important for what they're trying to set up, hard to watch in a way that I can't almost think of at any other moment in Star Wars. I've talked before about how much I hated some of the new Star Wars movies in terms of Rise of Skywalker and like Solo in particular as being just bad films. But I never had moments of where I couldn't watch them. I was frustrated with them. I didn't enjoy parts of them. But I didn't find some moments of them so bad as to be borderline unwatchable. And that's so heavily colors my view of this film that it brings it down lower than it maybe even deserves just because of how poorly done so much and so many long stretches of the material of this film are. Oof, man, that was really well done. Shout out, Spencer. Uh, Jamie, Jamie. I almost don't even want to say anything because I don't want to follow that. Gosh, that, that's that was good. Been very convincing on both points. Uh, but you're going to have to. Go ahead, James. Oh, no. All right. Well, mine's going to go smaller than that because you can't go bigger than that. Um, 
I would say that this is the best of all because in a lot of ways, the thing that I like and I'm fascinated the most by in Star Wars are the Jedi and the Jedi Order and the Jedi philosophy and the light and the dark sides of the Force. Some of the other ones delve more into the light and the dark in a lot of ways. But this is one that I think shows the Jedi Order more than it even realizes in ways that inform and color all the rest of it, showing how they're fallible, showing how they are overproud, showing how they make mistakes, showing how Yoda is not the end-all, be-all and you can just literally trust it because he said it. Um, I, the mistakes they make, you, you know, Yoda honestly letting Dooku get away, because if you can, like, grab a ship out of the sky with the Force, I think if you can do all the things he does, if you're all that strong, he could have blocked the one thing and also picked Dooku up and held him in the air like a child at the same time. He he, he let Dooku get away. His... And he let that play out so calmly and passively because it's the way Jedi are supposed to be. And sometimes it works, but here it didn't. It let the bad guy get away to do all kinds of more badness in the future. That led to the Death Star. If he had stopped Dooku right there, Death Star plans would have not gotten to where they needed to go, at least anytime soon. I forget all the details, whatever. Um, sure. Anyway, the, developing the Jedi in a way that is interesting and fallible led to my favorite parts in the sequels. Uh, give me a richer understanding of the Jedi in the original trilogy. And I love that. Um, as much as it's subtle, and I almost enjoy it at the time, I think it it just makes some of the other parts more interesting. And anything that can make the other parts of a franchise better is amazing. And nothing else goes into it the same way. So that, that, that's about the best I got. Sorry. Okay. No, that's no, both very good. Uh, I would say, um, all right. So for me, it's the best Star Wars movie because of we get a lot with the characters that I'm most interested in. We got in, you know, think about the sequencing. We got more from Palpatine this episode than we got before. I love him. Like, I love that conversation he has with Anakin where they're in his office because it's like so strange. Like if you don't know that he's a, he's a Sith Lord, it's so weird that he's like worried about like what missions Anakin's going on. And he's talking to him about minding his feelings. Like he sounds kind of like Yoda at times. It's very, very strange. I love that we get a lot from Palpatine. I love all the Yoda stuff. Yoda's my favorite character in Star Wars. I love that he kicks Dooku, you know, he, he fights Dooku, gets the best of Dooku. I like that he, you know, saves the day. I like, we get a lot with him, a lot of his thinking. I like the quiet scenes with him and Mace Windu. So all that character development is really strong. And Spencer makes a phenomenal point, which is that this, getting us to the Clone Wars was so important because the Clone Wars is so rich in storytelling. So I love that we were able to get, finally get there. Uh, it's the worst because of, uh, well, let's just, let's just say the C3PO scene. Let's just say that. <laughs> It sucks. You're being so worthless. Yeah, that was really, really fucking bad. I hated it a lot. Um, I didn't even hate it all that much, though it does raise some serious questions over what a droid does from body parts do uh, that that don't make actual any sense. I I, I always thought it was kind of funny. But I think that... Go ahead, Spencer. Did did R2-D2 also just straight up try to murder 3PO? 
He just pushes him into a conveyor belt at one point, just like into just this mess of electronics off a cliff. It's just yet enough. I mean, I'm, I just think that the portrayal of R2-D2 is so stupid. Like, this fucking droid is like Jesus, God, Muhammad, Buddha. It's unbelievable. Like, give me a fucking break with R2. Like, is R2-D2 the only fucker that thought it might be a good idea to just stop the conveyor belt? Like, he's the only one that had the, had the thought, like, hey, maybe we should just go stop the conveyor belt as opposed to, like, try to ride it out like it's a fucking roller mm-hmm. coaster. That, I, I, I get too much R2-D2 for me. Um, I, I, I get I get too much from him. Uh, but, I, yeah, I, I would say that there are some – there. Are, I would – maybe the way I'd say it is that the lowest of the lows in this film are some of the lowest in the series. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah, they, it gets very low at times as far as the quality. It gets really, really weak at times. Can I bring us up to a bit of a high moment by giving us some last nostalgia to end on, though? Uh, I do want to point out, though, one thing before you do that, that mm-hmm. they do, you know, I think who I can't remember who said it, but somebody, somebody said it on this podcast that they kind of painted themselves in a corner with the, the Yoda character because mm-hmm. they portrayed him as this all-knowing, all-knowing, like this, this like sure. Buddha-esque character. And so Jamie's first reaction is, well, of course he can stop that, you know, falling ceiling or whatever and grab the ship. Of course, like, that's a problem for the character. When mm-hmm. you don't, when the audience got- doesn't, doesn't know the limitations of the character and then doesn't believe them when you portray them. That's a problem. Uh, it wasn't a problem for me, but I recognize that it's a problem in hearing them talk. Anyway, go ahead, Spencer. Let's do some nostalgia moments. Just so we can end on a bit of a positive book. This movie does have legitimate nostalgic moments. A um, couple character ones to recognize. Uh, Jamie, you called it out well. Tamara Morrison's introduction as Django Fett on Camino is great. It's yep. great. Camino oh. is great. I, we yes. didn't really talk about it that much. As a set but, point, as a set at least, that they then don't do anything worthwhile with. As a set, as a, just a slow realization by Obi-Wan that, oh God, the universe is much more complicated than I understand, Camino mm-hmm. plays that well. It, it, yeah. it fits in well to the film noir kind of plot that Obi-Wan is on very perfectly as suddenly you're getting a bit, a bit of a sense that the mystery is bigger than you and bigger than the little gumshoe assignment that you originally got. That plays out well. Uh, the Camino people themselves are also just visually interesting too, which I kind of mm-hmm. like that too. Uh, we'll talk about Dexter Jester is just a side character that I quite enjoy. The clones themselves, in terms of introduction, um, one of John Williams's one of his, my favorite bits of John Williams music is the Clone Army theme. If you haven't listened to it before, or you're not placing it. Go on YouTube and listen to it. It is such a perfect military march theme to embody the clones, and it's played beautifully here. Of when they are first effectively deployed on Camino, or otherwise. That music clicks in, and suddenly you're like, oh, God, we're at war, whether the galaxy knows it or not. Kudos to that. Uh, Christopher Lee, you guys noted, it. the guy can read the back of Kellogg's box and make it entertaining. He brings gravitas to every scene he's in. I think they don't do enough with him, but that's not a complaint about him. He does great with the material that they give him. Uh, one thing we didn't mention, and it's my favorite audio bit in Star Wars and my favorite moments in Star Wars but when we first see those goddamn seismic charges go off in that asteroid thicket, when uh, Obi-Wan is chasing Jango Fett, you guys know the scene I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. It is great. That noise that goes off, the effect as an asteroid thicket, the fight that goes afterwards, 
It's wonderful. And it bring it sets up a great moment in Mandalorian later on when we first see that seismic charge drop. And the entire fan base held their breath waiting for that noise to go down. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I will offer those for nostalgic moments of the episode, and I think they are well-earned. There are things in this that are quintessential Star Wars. They're buried under some shit, but the heart is still there, and it still does resonate. Uh, okay. My nostalgic moment of the episode is everything Yoda, but then after that, when Anakin tells Padme that he killed all of the Tusken Raiders, the Imperial March starts to play in the background. That does, yeah. That is fucking cool. That that gave me shivers when that happened. Um, I love the foreshadowing and I love the draw. I love any time they connect the prequels to the, the first three movies. And doing it through music is really smart. So I, that was probably my nostalgic moment of the episode. Jamie? My nostalgic moment would definitely be the droid clone fight at the end. You know, in my mind, any anytime anybody is ever critical of this movie, my brain kind of goes to you know, a joke I've heard about episode six is, oh, spider, speeder bikes were cool. Like, you know, even if there's and that, I, I like six, but um, even if people don't like <laughs> episode two, the droid clone fight, not in the pit, but out in the fields was awesome. And it was awesome as a 12 yard. And it's still awesome to me today. I just enjoy it. And. The Dooku lightsaber fight, which is kind of an extension of it, I hear your criticisms, and I at least can sympathize with them. But everything about that fight was interesting, at least, and fun. So they, they did that really well. I, I, that that whole bit from when they leave the gladiatorium to when Dooku escapes. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. That is our review of Episode 2. I think you got... Some very different perspectives here. We are going to be back before uh, too long with our review of Episode 3, and that will round out the prequels. Uh, I will, spoiler alert for you guys, Episode 3 is my second favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Jamie, you routinely, in your conversations, lump all three movies together as if they're like all the same value and quality. I strongly disagree with that because I think that Episode 3 is a lot better than the other two. We'll be able to have some time to flesh all that out and more. I'm excited to do so. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you like to listen to us and you are about two hours in, so I'm going to guess you do, please subscribe to Pot of the Dragon. Spencer and I are going to be doing a lot of work to break down House HBO's House of the Dragon, the prequel series to Game of Thrones. That's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Spencer, I can't wait to do it with you. We will be back on the Mangum Talks podcast channel in about a week with our review of the first episode of House of the Dragon, but we will be back on this podcast feed with our review of episode three before too long. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time. 